kind of settled in on my heart what I felt like the Lord wanted me to kind of move to is uh, I jumped to First uh, Peter. And uh, how many have ever read the book of First Peter? First, Second Peter. Um, and uh, I thought, you know, I've been, I've been going down a list of what Paul had wrote. And I thought I would go towards Peter because uh, how many know that Paul and Peter were, were giants uh, in, in, in the early church? They were the apostles. And so, um, so let's do a little bit of detail here on First Peter. Um, obviously, it's written by. All right. Some of you are already on. It was written by. All right. Good. And uh, he is writing this. And here's the theme of First of Peter. And I love this. It is this right here. H-O-P-E. Everyone say hope. Hope. And hope, when we talk about hope in the Bible, uh, a good biblical definition for hope in the Bible is this. The expectation of coming good. How many know that when you have Jesus Christ in your life, you have the expectation of coming good? Whether that be on this earth or in the next life, you know, in, in heaven, it's, and here's the thing, um, it's interesting, Peter is writing this, um, and Christians are being persecuted, I talked about this in, in Second uh, Timothy, how uh, Nero, how many, Caesar Nero was a little bit crazy, right, and I talked about how he uh, was, was the guy who, who, you know, burned down Rome, so he could rebuild it, and so he, his name would be great. Kind of sounds like some of our politicians now. I'll tear things down so I could build things up to make it great again. And one of his things that he wanted to do in that process, he wanted to build, has anyone ever heard of the, the Circus Maximus? Anybody ever heard of that? Um, it was an arena there in, in Rome that could seat, uh, think of the largest arena in America. I think the largest arena uh, football stadium in America is Michigan, the University of Michigan. I think it's, they call it the Big House, I believe. And it seats upward of 100,000 people. That's big, right? That's a big stadium. And, um, but the, the Circus Maximus seated 300,000 people. That's really big. And so that would even dwarf our largest uh, football stadium. And so uh, there, you know, people would go and watch gladiators, watch Christians be mangled by lions and, and being persecuted and all kinds of things. So uh, the date that this was written, you know, many scholars are open to this, but somewhere around 64 A.D., kind of in that window, and the place that it was written, are you ready for this? Babylon, okay? That may not mean anything to you if you read, the, if you read in the text, it will say Babylon, but when we talk about Babylon in the Bible, what we are really saying is this, Rome, okay? Rome, everyone say Rome. All right. Now, that should make your ears perk up because we ended 2 Timothy. Where was Paul when he died? Rome. <laughs> and, and so you, you should be thinking, wait a second here. So Paul is in Rome around this time, and Peter is writing here in Rome at this time. It's kind of interesting, right? Um, and so we, when we look at this, uh, you know, and I've talked about this before when I, when I talked about James. There were uh, three, like, major players. So Peter, well, let's just talk about these guys. Peter and Paul uh, both served a purpose to spread the gospel. Peter's purpose was to speak to the Jews, right? 
And Paul's purpose, he even said this, is to speak to the Gentiles. What is a Gentile? Anyone that's not a Jew. That's me. I'm a Gentile. And so uh, in that, so we see these, this, this group. God has a way of spreading the church and in a very effective way, God loves both, uh, you know, Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, first to the Jew, but also to the Greek or to the Gentile. I'm adopted in. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Thank you for that, that perfect grace and mercy. Um, but, you know, out of Jerusalem, where, where Peter was, he was preaching to the, to the Jews. There was Peter and James and John. How many know those characters? And they were they were in Jerusalem preaching the gospel, and then uh, and then there was also later on there was Paul, and Barnabas and Silas, and they were north at a place called Antioch, and that was kind of where their ministry was based. So God used these men and, and the early early disciples to spread the gospel. So uh, so Paul is in prison in Rome, right? We talked about Paul last time, and. And it's interesting here, why is Paul in prison in Rome? So Paul never went back, uh, he went to Jerusalem to meet with uh, Peter, James, and John to talk to them that God had changed his life. Remember, uh, Paul was a Jew, right? He was persecuting Christians. He didn't agree with what Christians were doing. And so there he went uh, and had his God moment on the Damascus Road. How many know that God God will knock you off your high horse and put you where you need to be? He was blind for multiple days, being led by a Christian. Boy, isn't God good. He has a way of bringing us down. And Paul was radically changed, and so he goes to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15. And there he he talks to Peter, James, and John, and they they begin to kind of hash out. They didn't really trust Paul, understand why, right? And because they were Christians. And so, um, but they ended up working some things out. But it's interesting, Paul um, has it made up in his mind. He did all these missionary journeys all across uh, into Asia, into Europe, all kinds of just throughout the area. And at the end of his life, he's determined to go to Jerusalem again. And it's interesting, the Holy Spirit warned him and said, don't go to Jerusalem, don't go to Jerusalem, don't go to Jerusalem. And Paul, uh, you know, just kind of, he made his way to Jerusalem. And when he got to Jerusalem, he was arrested for preaching the gospel and then shipped to Rome and thrown into prison there. It's interesting. Why is that interesting? Because we see Peter here, who is based out of Jerusalem, he takes a trip to Rome. This is interesting. And while he's in Rome, he's preaching the gospel and then there he is persecuted and is eventually um, hanged upside down on a cross and dies there in Rome. And so uh, what are you saying there, TJ? What I'm saying is this. What is it about us always thinking that the next step is better or I've got to be here rather than being grounded where God has placed us? I, I think we can all fall prey to that. I look at these giants of the faith. And but they they were determined. They were spreading the gospel. They were doing their best to do that. I saw. I heard something today, and maybe this is just a little bit too country for everybody. You know where the grass is greener? Over the septic tank. No, you know where the the grass is green where you where you water it. And if God has planted you, if you will water where you are out where you're at, God will make you flourish. All right, that's a good word right there. Um, but uh, so it's, it's really interesting um, about this. So 
it's Paul had reached uh, Rome first, and uh, unbeknownst to the uh, most of the Catholic Church or the Catholic Church, they they call Peter the first pope, and they believe that Peter started the first church in Rome. This is where they get that. Um, and I've read that in St. Peter's Basilica there uh, is there's a statue of Peter. And whenever people go by, they uh, when it's, that statue was erected, they kiss his toes when they come in. How many know that's kind of weird? And it's been kissed so many times that his toe is gone on the statue. Can I tell you something? Not only is he missing a toe, but they're missing the point. Because I believe if Peter was there in person, he would say, it's not me, guys. It's Jesus Christ. Um, and so, uh, you know, there's some, there's a little bit of, you know, some people think that Peter did this, but Paul actually beat uh, Peter to Rome. And so, and Paul would say this in, in uh, Acts, that he wouldn't go somewhere and start a church where someone else had started a work. How many know that that's important? Why? He didn't want any confusion. If somebody's doing a good work, hey, let them have at it. How can I help you? How can I bless you? So, um it's interesting, these two guys, they're, they're, they're very, they, they had different purposes, and they had different attitudes, really. Uh, they both wanted to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Peter would say this of Paul, and you heard me talk about this. He would say that Paul's writings are good, and you should follow them if you can understand them. Paul was educated. Peter was a fisherman. Okay. And so he would say, hey, if you could follow him, you know what, follow it if you can understand it. And then Paul would say this in Acts chapter 15. Hey, I went and I, I faced down with, with the apostle Peter because we, we were having some arguments about Paul, uh, Peter had, was kind of falling into a little bit of legalism, legalism. And Paul comes in and says, listen, it's by grace. And they begin to work those things out. And, but how many know that God has a purpose? Man, God always has a purpose. But I, I've been talking about Paul for uh, a, a while, and I thought, you know what, I'll jump to Peter because, and I think it's kind of neat, the timeline, because they were, they were together uh, here, uh, maybe, not, maybe not talking, but they were there together. So some, pe- some scholars believe that Peter was, is, was not capable of writing this book because they said he was just a fisherman, you know, he was just a common person. But I want to dispute that and say, if you spend any amount of time with Jesus, you can do amazing things. And so I, I, I want to just say, I believe that uh, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Peter began to pen this awesome epistle here. So we're going to look at this. And so thank you for that. That was a long intro. I apologize about that. But we're going to try to get through this. So First um, Peter chapter 1 says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So um, so when we talk about apostles in the New Testament, there are three that stand out in my mind and probably in your mind. Um, Peter is mentioned 193 times in the New Testament. Everyone look at your neighbor say, that's a lot. All right. Paul's mentioned 228 times in the New Testament. Everyone say, that's a lot. Now get this. The rest of the apostles are only mentioned 114 times collectively altogether. And so these two guys were giants of the faith. And so... Um, Some would say this, Paul is the apostle of faith. Everyone say faith. Paul articulates faith more clearly uh, than than, uh, most other people in the New Testament. He talks about the doctrine of justification, the just shall live by faith, right? And uh, what it means, you know, uh, and the grace of God. And And then Peter is the apostle of hope. Everyone say hope. 
And he would be the answer to a persecuted church. Hey, listen, hang in there. You're being persecuted. But there is hope. What is hope? The expectation of coming good. I'm being per- How many have ever been persecuted and thought, oh, well, how about this? You're working, and Thursday you're tired at work, and you're like, it's almost Friday. There is the expectation of the weekend. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about. There's hope. And then a third apostle that we could talk about is the apostle John. And John is what? The apostle of love. So it's interesting to me that God would use these three pillars to write most of the New Testament and, and to speak and to be part of the early church. First Corinthians 13, 13 says three things will last forever, faith, hope, love. Faith, hope, love, and the greatest of these is love. So uh, the early church was built on those three pillars, faith, hope, love. And if we're going to build a church in the 21st century, listen, we're going to do it on faith, hope, and love. Here's the thing about a good recipe. Don't mess up a good recipe by adding your spice into it. Come on, how many have ever done that? Oh, I don't know if I trust grandma's recipe, so I'm going to put something in it, and you ruin it, right? Well, listen, why in the 21st century we ruin what God, the recipe that God has put before us? Hey, th- those are solid things to build a church on. And I believe this is a little bit of a picture of the Trinity. I think it's interesting. A three-chord uh, a strand is not what? Easily broken. Man, I, there's just power in this. So the next part of this scripture says, To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus and Galatia, uh, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Um, and I talked about this. July 19th, 64 A.D. Um, that's that uh, the place is Rome, and Caesar Nero would set fire to Rome. And I told you what his purpose was. And he would use Christians as a scapegoat. Hey, the Christians did this. You know, the Christians said that they, they talk with, with, with tongues of fire. The Christians, they're, they're cannibals because they, they take communion. And so he would, he would, you know, there's a little bit of truth in what he's saying, you know, in some, some things. But he twisted. How many know that's how the devil works? Just enough truth, just to, just, but it's a lie. And so he, they would be the scapegoat. So, um, and it would be, a, Peter would have written this about 10 months before this took place. And so, I think Peter, being filled with the Holy Spirit, sensed some discernment within him and saying, hey, guys, it's about to get rowdy up in here. You better put your hope in Jesus Christ. Uh, Verse 2 says this, according to the foreknowledge of God, uh, the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling with his blood. So um, it's interesting, Peter would say it like this, Uh, you know, the word Trinity is not in the Bible But you can't help but read things like that where you see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's really interesting. And so you see that. So God the Father, he he chooses us to be in his family, not based on what we do, but based on his eternal wisdom. How many would say, hey, I'm so glad that God chose me. Amen. Here's the next portion of that. Sanctification is the ongoing process whereby the Holy Spirit works in a believer. You know what? I'm not the same person I am today that I was a year ago because the Holy Spirit is working on me. He's chipping away at me saying, hey, you need to be a little bit nicer. You need to speak a little bit kinder. You need to show someone the love of of God when you don't feel like it. And the Holy Spirit is still working 
in the lives of believers, and he's saying, hey, be holy, be separate from the world, and don't go back to your old ways, but, but to be like him. So God chooses us that we might serve him. So here's the last one we talked about, uh, Jesus, Jesus Christ, and for the, uh, the obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling of blood. I want to look at this real fast. The sprinkling of the blood refers to three things, all right? So Moses, when they had the covenant with the Lord, he told them, hey, sacrifice animals. And that covenant was created. He initiates that covenant. You know what the sacrifice did? It set them apart from everyone else. Okay, number one, sets us apart. How many, everyone say the blood sets us apart. All right, now, number two, the sprinkling of the blood on Aaron, on his sons and the priests. This is, this is beautiful. So not only were the children of Israel set apart, but then God says, hey, there's the priestly duty here. And so the sprinkling of blood on them, that sets us up. Everyone say sets us up. All right. And then the last thing here is this, the sprinkling of the blood on, on the lepers to symbolize that they are clean. So when a leper was, was unclean, they had to go to the, to the uh, uh, priest, and they would go through this process of being clean, and then they would, they would sprinkle blood on them. And how many know that when the blood is applied to you, you are set free? Everyone say set apart, set up, and set free. That's what the blood does. That's why, I, I, that's why I get so wound up when I talk about the blood of Jesus because, listen, it has set me apart, it has set me up, and it sets me free. Amen? The, the blood of Jesus still works. It still has power. Whew. Uh, all right. All right. So the next portion says this. May the grace and the peace be multiplied uh, to you. So um, Peter, being a giant uh, of, an, of an apostle, he tells us, about grace and peace. Where else have we heard about grace and peace? Paul. Paul would start his letters. I, I don't know if he took this from Paul or if it was just something that's in them. But how many know where there is the grace of God, there is the peace of God? How many want the peace of God? Rest in his grace. It's that simple. What is grace? Unmerited favor. What is peace? Harmony, security. Uh, I looked up this word peace in this actual verse, and I looked at the actual Greek, and it means this. Harmony, security, prosperity. How many want peace of, of, of prosperity on your life and health and in job and in finances and in life? And then uh, this is, the, this is the, the best definition that I, I love this, is the exemption of the rage and havoc of war. How many know that war is, is terrible? We hate war, right? We hate to see things and, and crazy. But guess what? When we have the peace of God, there is an exemption in our life from those things. Why? Because our eyes are set on Jesus. So if you need a subheading here, we're going to talk about being born again to a living hope, okay? We're going to be talking about hope. Everyone say hope. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercies, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Um, I love this little bit of verse. How many feel stressed? How many feel discouraged? How many feel a little displaced? Or maybe you feel like you're in danger. But uh, Peter here is addressing that, and, and he's saying it right away. Hey, listen, early church, early Christians, 
Uh, you may feel like, like the sky's about to fall. You may feel like there's persecution. But he's saying this, based upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ, hey, our hope is secure. Secure. So uh, I don't know about you, uh, human hope gets weaker and dimmer through time, right, and finally dies. I want you to stop and think about the first time that you voted for whatever your political affiliation is. How many know that, that men's hopes <laughs> grows weaker and dimmer through time, amen? Um, and, but we have this hope, and it's based upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, you know, when I was young, I believed, uh, at, and I never played football until I was in high school, but when I was, at, you know, really young, uh, probably 8, 9, 10 years old, I used to go outside, and, and I, w I didn't go to a very big school, but I had a dog that would, would play football with me, all right? How many know what I'm talking about? And he basically played keep away from me, and I would just try to tackle him. That was pretty much the way it worked. But I kept, at that age, at a young age, I thought, you know what? I'm going to play football for the Dallas Cowboys. How many know that, that I, I'm a big Dallas Cowboy fan? Oh, come on, Tammy. I felt the anointing on that one. We c I could actually say we have a winning record this year. All right. Um, and, um, and, and so I, th I thought, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to play for the Dallas Cowboys. But I'm here to tell you, two years ago, that dream died. I'm just playing. <laughs> I'll walk on. <laughs> uh, I realized about my junior year of, of high school, I went to football camp, and I spent all summer playing football, and I, I, I did, I just football, 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 and I came home one day, and I said, I don't love football this much. I don't want my whole life to just be around football, and, and, I've, I, and so that dream began to die. So the truth is, we live our lives going through and checking off things that we thought would be great. Uh, and, and because we get older, they, they, they fall away, right? Some of you said, hey, one day I'm going to be a, a multimillionaire, right? And, 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 and some of you are still believing that. Uh, uh, I don't know how, but some of you still believe in that. But, uh, you know, or we say, hey, this is going to happen. Or, and then life happens, and those things don't work out the way that we thought they would work out. Uh, don't be discouraged um, because I'm not discouraged I didn't make the Dallas Cowboys. I'm really not. And, and, and don't be discouraged that you didn't make your millions of dollars because here's the thing. As believers, you know what our hope is? Heaven. 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 That's our hope. And it gets closer every day. We're all getting a little bit closer to heaven. All right. Uh, kept in heaven for you. So our inheritance is reserved in heaven. And you say, well, what if I don't make it to heaven? Keep reading on who by God's power are being guarded. So here, this is interesting to me. Um, how many know that the Lord keeps us? And, and, and the word kept uh, is, or guarded in this translation is, is by the power of God. Um, it's not me holding on to the Lord. It's him holding on to me. Now, sometimes I think I'm holding on to him. But in reality, how many can say that the Lord held on to you when you, when you were falling apart? All right, I love this. I, I began to think about this, and I, um, Wyatt, when he was two, we went, Father's Day, we went and ate some ice cream, and we were out eating ice cream in this, like, little uh, patio area, and the street was right there, and he was running around like a two-year-old that just ate ice cream. How many know what I'm talking about? And he was hyper, and he was going crazy, 
and he was going towards the street. Well, the dad and me ran as fast as I could over there, and I grabbed his arm as quick as I could. You know what he did? He deadweighted. How many know that toddler deadweight? Just and so I'm, I'm holding him by his arm, and he swings, and he comes back, and he just starts crying, 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 crying. And I'm, my wife's like, what would you do to him? I'm like, I didn't do anything to him, right? And I'm like, he's fine, and he kept crying and crying, and I pulled his arm out of socket just by catching him. It's his own fault. It wasn't mine. It was Father's Day, too. Um, yeah, Dad of the Year award right there. And, and, but here's the thing. He wasn't holding on to my hand, but I was holding on to him. And I can't help but think in my life there's been times where I've been running towards the street unbeknownst to me, thinking this is what I want, God. This is what I want. And God's like, hold up. And I'm like, ha, ah, that hurts. And I'm crying. And God's like, listen, you've got a bigger purpose than this. You've got a greater destiny than this. Amen. So, so oftentimes we think we're holding on to the Lord, but in reality, he's holding on to us. And I'm grateful for that. Because how many know the Lord has a strong right hand? Amen. And the scripture tells us he holds us up with that hand. So uh, the next portion says, through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So um, I saw something, and I, I, found this, I found this a little bit interesting. That I, I heard a story of a fraternity that hazed a new freshman. And they tied a knot in a rope, and they suspended this freshman down into a, a dark well at night. How many know that, that colleges do crazy things sometimes, right? No light, and, and they dropped him down there, and they said, you have to hold on for however many minutes. And so for 10 minutes, they, they left this young man holding on to this rope in this well, just, just sitting there. And he, he was getting tired, and then they tied the rope off, and they walked off and left him. I mean, you know, that, that sounds like, like some of our friends sometimes. And he's sitting there hanging for 15 minutes. He's there, and he's, he's crying. He's like, my shoulders hurt. My arms hurt. And I, I don't know what to do. And he's screaming for help, and nobody's answering. And so after about 20 minutes, he fatigues out, and he lets go. And when he lets go, it's dark in the well. He drops two inches, and he hits the ground. It's pretty interesting, right? See, what had happened is they had calculated the distance to the bottom of the well. And unbeknownst to this young man, he didn't realize he was that close to the bottom of the well. But isn't that like us? Where are you, God? I don't think I can make it. Hanging on here. I'm fighting. I'm struggling. I'm screaming. I'm tired. Hello? Hello, Lord? And what do we find out? That Jesus is our solid rock, and he's been there the whole time. It's just been not me hanging on to him, it's him hanging on to us. And so when some of us say, hey, I've got aching arms and I, my shoulders are, are, are about to give out. And, and here's what I've learned. When I'm tired spiritually, it's because I'm trying to do something instead of just resting in what God's doing. And that's usually the case for me. I don't know if that's you. but And, and here's the thing. We fail. How many have ever failed? How many ever get disgusted at yourself sometimes? Like, why in the world did I do that? Why did I say that? But here's the thing. If we would just let go and rest in Jesus and rest on what he did in, in Calvary, we would feel a freedom in our lives. And, 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 and our puny efforts don't compare to the power of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And that's what Peter's saying here. He's saying this to all these Christians and to you and me. If the temperature rises and persecution begins, hey, you're going to find out 
You, 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 you could believe in God and trust God, and you'll hang in there. Verse 6 says this. In this you rejoice. Everyone say rejoice. Uh, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So the word grieve here is heaviness. Everyone say heaviness. In the, in, in the King James Version, it says that. It's the same word that Luke used to describe Jesus' heart in the Garden of Gethsemane in, in Luke chapter uh, 22, verse 44. How many remember the story where Jesus is there and he is grieved and he is struggling with his heart and he starts to sweat out blood? How many remember that story? And he is under so much stress. So here's the thing. Peter, he's not minimizing their struggle. He's, he's talking about this heaviness, but he's reminding them, hey, it's only for a season. Rejoice greatly because here's the deal. You guys are going to heaven, okay? Anything in this life is temporal. I'm, I'm going to give you an example right here. Uh, I, you know what? I'm going I'm to uh, uh, you do this. You have, just say you're in an airport and you're going to go get a ticket and you walk up to the United Airlines uh, desk there, and you're going to get a ticket, you know, there we go, right? And, and, and first you, you get up there and you say, hey, I, I need a ticket. I'm, I want to go from Indianapolis, and I want to go, let's just say, New York City for whatever reason. And, and they, the United Airlines people say, hey, listen, we will get you there tonight. We will get you there tonight. But here's the thing. We, you may get up in the air. You may face some turbulence. You may face some uh, different uh, drafts. Or, and, but here's the thing. Our plane is in great shape. Our, our pilot is qualified. Amen. Our pilot is qualified. And you might experience a bump or two along the way, but you're going to make it. Everyone say, you're going to make it. How many know that this flight in our life is bump bumpy every once in a while? But here's the thing, you're going to make your destination. Now, imagine this. You said, hang on a second, United Airlines, and you leave, and you go over to this other counter. Now, some of you know how I feel about this airline. I won't, I won't tell you what it is. It's Spirit Airline. But anyways, you go to Spirit Airline, you go over to their counter, all right, and, and you say, hey, uh, I, I want a flight from Indianapolis to, to, to New York. And they say this right here. Uh, listen, if you're a Spirit person and you fly at Spirit, God bless you. I uh, pray God's grace on you. All right. But anyways, um, let's say you go to this airline and you say, hey, and they say this right here. They say, hey, listen, our flight is going to be smooth. There are going to be no bumps. There will be no turbulence. It will be sm smooth sailing all the way. But here's one little thing that we need to tell you. Our landing gear uh, does not work. And our brakes Sometimes work, sometimes they don't work. And so uh, here's the deal. We'll, we'll work on getting you there. Uh, the flight will be smooth, but the landing, yeah, a little bit iffy. Which airline are you going to go with? All right, come on, somebody say fly the United Skies. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, listen, I don't have any problem with Spirit Airline. I promise you. I don't hold a grudge. Pray for your pastor. All right. But if you had to choose between these two flights, you would say this. I'll take the bumpy flight with the smooth landing over the smooth flight with a bumpy landing. Uh, some say, hey, I don't want to deal with trials. I don't want to go against the world system or deal with church disciplines. I want smooth sailing. But here's the thing. They are fools. You may escape a bump or two in this lifetime, but let me tell you something. They're heading for disaster. And that's what Peter is emphasizing here over and over in this epistle. He sets his sights on the big picture. Everyone say the big picture. Jesus would say it like this in Matthew 6, 33. He says, but seek first, what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness, 
and all these things will be added to you. You want to make life easy? You may have some bumps in the road. You may seek the Lord first. Seek his kingdom first. I promise you, you'll have a soft landing on the other side. Amen? Uh, Verse 7 says this, so that the tested uh, uh, genuineness of your faith. So people say this, this trial is tough. I don't see anything good coming out of this trial. I talk to people all the time, and they're like, man, my, this is terrible. This situation's terrible. I counseled a young man uh, a week ago, and I talked to him for about four hours, and he, he said, this is the toughest thing ever. And I said, listen, I promise you, you're not the first person who has ever went through this. I promise you, you're not. But I, 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 and I'm so glad Brother Johnson was here, and he spoke on this. Romans 8.28 says this, and we know. Everyone say, and we know that those who love God... Uh, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So notice this. I want you to notice something about that. Everyone say no. Notice it does not say, and we see that those who, okay, you, you, you hear the difference there? We, we may not always see what God is doing behind the scenes. But here's the thing. As a believer who has faith in Jesus Christ, I know he's working it out for my good. Man, I, I love that. I don't know. That gets my juices flowing. I, I might just get a little bit, bit, bit jumpy up here today. It says we know. We may not always see things working together, maybe a month, maybe a year, maybe decades. But as believers in Christ, I know. You know why? Because I trust Jesus. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. I know, I know, I know. The Bible says we don't see it, but we know it. And that's what Peter is reminding us here in this passage. So look at this. Next portion says, for more precious than the gold that perishes, uh, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in, in praise and glory and honor to the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Peter's saying this, hey, I know you're going through difficult times. Maybe tougher times are coming your direction, but he says this, you can choose to rejoice because trials strengthen your faith. Ooh, I don't like that preaching, Pastor. I don't like that. I don't, I don't need trials to strengthen my, well, let me tell you, Peter's good friend James said it like this, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith, what, produces steadfastness. Job in the Old Testament said it like this, but he knows the way that I take when he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. So goldsmiths know this, and they put intense heat to metals, to, to, to pure metals, and they, and they get the impurities. They separate the impurities from the gold. How many want to buy a solid, perfectly good gold ring, not one that's tainted with all kinds of other metals, right? When you go to the jeweler, you say, this is a good ring, right? And so what happens, the heat is, is added, and when the heat is added, guess what? Those impurities in my life, when I go through a trial, those impurities, those things in my life begin to be moved away because I'm coming out like gold is what Job said. How many know that Job went through a life? Uh, he went through some troubles, right? He went through some real troubles. Matter of fact, I heard someone say this. Job lost everything in his life but his wife. Be pretty bad. That's, you know, I mean, he meant just to put a little salt in the wound there, right? But remember she said, you know, Job, why don't you curse God and die? 
Why don't you curse God and die? You, you know, it's a lost cause. But I love Job because, you know, in that sense, you know, you think, hey, if I can curse God and die, surely I can bless him and live. Amen. It's all perspective. It's all perspective. Uh, and here's the thing. It's, it's true to us. God's big plan for you and me is, is not just in this life, but it's eternity. There's more. You know, God has things for you to do in eternity. That's amazing. Uh, but here's the thing. God's like, I'm going to turn up the heat because I need to knock this self-righteousness or this pride out of TJ. And I'm going to turn up the heat. And you're going to go through this trial. And, and this is what happens to us. We, we got pride. We have pride in our lives. And we're walking around with our pride. And we go into the store and we fall down in front of people. And God takes our pride away, Right? There's nothing that will kill pride like them when you trip just on your own two feet. Amen. Maybe you like patience. The Lord will put you in slower traffic. I'm working on that one. I'm working on that one within me. Look at this. Paul would say it like this in Romans 5, 3 through 5. Look at this. Uh, uh, you don't have that up there. Romans, Romans 5, verse 3 through 5 says this, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Everyone say rejoice. Oh, you ought to rejoice that you're going through something. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Everyone say the expectation of coming good. I mean, we want hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So suffering produces patience. Patience produces uh, works and experiences and experience. Uh, uh, and works produces hope, and hope is the absolute expectation of coming good. I put my hope in Jesus. Verse 8 says this, though you have not seen me, uh, have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not know, now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. You know, Jesus, uh, uh, Peter saw Jesus in his humanity. I was talking to Larry last night, and I said, I, I said, Larry, I said, how cool would it have been to be an apostle? I, I got a little guff with the apostles because I'm like, listen, you guys sat with Jesus for, for three and a half years, and, and, man, sometimes you guys just didn't get it. I'm sure I'll learn more when I get into heaven because I'd probably been the biggest duck in the, in the puddle if I was with them. But Peter saw Jesus' humanity. You know what else Peter did see? He saw Jesus' deity. How many remember that transfiguration moment there? And, 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 he was, and, and after his resurrection, right? And then he said on, on the mountain when, in the transfiguration, Lord, this is good for us to be here. This is good for us to be here. I, this, is, this is great. And, and Peter's joy, listen, Peter's joy in that moment was speakable. It's good that we're here. He could say that. But look at this. Peter is saying to those who have not seen him physically but have seen him spiritually, he's, he's saying this, your joy is unspeakable. You, you can't even fathom. Even though you haven't seen Jesus, you know Jesus, it's unspeakable. I can speak about it. I'll, I'll give you another example. Like the three Hebrew boys in the fire, they saw the fourth man, I believe Jesus Christ, standing next to them. Same for you and me in, in our trials. God, purify me in these trials, and I can see you more clearly. 
And here's what happens. When I get to a trial, sometimes I don't even know what to say except, ooh, thank you, Jesus, you know, or whatever the case. Sometimes I don't even know how to verbalize what God is doing within me. That is joy unspeakable. Verse 9 says this, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Verse 10, concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. Verse 11, inquiring that the person or time, the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicated the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. And so he's saying this, what, are your, what you are experiencing is something that the prophets couldn't get a handle on. He's telling the early church, he's telling us today, the prophets could talk about it, they could prophesy, prophesy about it. They, matter of fact, the only thing that the prophets could prophesy, prophesy about the uh, coming Messiah, Jesus Christ, was this, the timing of it. The timing of it. That's it. That's, that's it. Because here's the thing, God invented what what happened and what came from Jesus, not prophets. All the prophets could do is say, hey, there's a Messiah coming, and this thing will happen, and this thing will happen, and this thing will happen, and it'll this will be the time. And here's the thing. They saw, the, the, the prophets saw Mount Calvary, and they saw the Mount of Olives, but here's what they didn't see, the valley in between those two things. Well, what, are you, what are you saying, Pastor? He... Mount Calvary, they, they prophesied about him coming to Calvary, and then he ascended. And then there's this time that we live in, this dispensation of grace. And the Bible says that Jesus is coming back, and he's going to come back down the Mount of Olives, and he's going to come again. So they didn't see that, that difference there. And there are two different comings. The Savior would come as first as a suffering Savior at Mount Calvary, and then he'll come as a conquering king on, on Mount Olives. So, so some say... Hear all the promises, but I I don't see any glory, right? I I hear what you're saying, Pastor. You're talking promises. You're talking about hope. You're talking about, but I don't see the glory. And here's the thing. I think some of us, we forget that we're in the valley. We've got to point our eyes towards, towards the coming of Jesus Christ. Amen? Here's what I know. You can write this down. Glory always follows suffering. You want some glory in your life? Sometimes you got to suffer. And you'll see the goodness of God. Verse 12 says this. Uh, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you. The things that, that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things to which angels uh, to look. So the term look there, if you have a King James Version, it probably says look into is the same phrase translated by the angels, uh, by the angel who told Peter to look into the tomb. He said, look, look, go look, go see where, where he laid. And just as the disciples wondered about the empty tomb, you know what the angels do? They look down at you and me, and they wonder, why does God love them so much? Why does God show them so much grace and mercy and love? And why has God chosen them to be his family and I think maybe sometimes they look at look at me and they may look at you and say, is this the best that, that he could do, you know? Uh, but I don't know about you. I'm glad he chose us. Amen? All right. The last little subheading here is this, called to be holy, verse 13. 
I, I, boy, this, I love this bit of scripture. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully. Everyone say hope on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the, the King James Version says gird up. Anybody got a King James Version in here? It says gird up. Uh, it should say gird up. Is that right? Gird up your loins. What does that mean? In Bible times, when someone would gird up their loins, they would have these long, um, you know, like robes. And when they were about to run, how many know you can't run in a long robe very well? Try it sometime. We'll we'll laugh at you. Hunk humility will step in, right? But they would take their robe, and they would roll it up, and they would have a belt, and they would kind of wrap it around their belt so that they could get their legs loose, and then they they could really get after it. And here's the thing. This is a picture for us. This is a beautiful picture for us. And for those of that time, they would understand this, that we have to get our minds on Christ. That's it. What are you doing with your mind? When we say girding up, how, what are you doing to gird your mind to get it ready to run this race for Christ? This is such an important principle. I like this. You can write this down if you, if you can write fast, all right? You cannot change your heart, but you can change your mind. All right, you cannot change your heart, but you can change your mind. God can change your heart, but won't change your mind. But here's the key right here. Here's the last part. God, uh, well, let me repeat that. God can change your heart, but, but won't change your mind. Here's the last part. But if you choose to change your mind, God will change your heart. God takes a stony heart. And makes it pure. Amen. Be sober-minded. Clear thinking. Be, be Get your mind right. Think right. And rest in hope. The expectation of coming good. Verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Amen. How many are not what you used to be? How many don't want to go back to your former ignorance? All right. Verse 15. But as He who called you is holy. You also be holy in all your conduct. Peter's swinging. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. When we go through difficult times, I don't know about you. This is my tendency. My tendency when I go through a difficult time is to drift back into carnality. Right? Right? tough time. Oh, I'm going through a really tough time right now. You know what? I'm just stressed. Work's got me down. Ah, uh, Maybe I'll just skip church tonight. Go back to carnality, right? Or I'll just go back. I'll go back to this. Or, uh, you know, I know there's, I know there's men's meeting this, this tonight, but man, ah, uh, whoo, I just can't. I just like, I, you know, I'll just, I'd rather do this. I'm gonna go hang out with my neighbor or this or that or whatever the case. And this is what Peter's saying. Don't go back. Don't go back. Lose your former passions. And he's saying this. Abandon them. How many are glad you're not what you used to be? Don't go back. Don't go back. So when you face trials, you've got to gird up your mind. You've got to get that thing so you can run this race. You've got to think soberly. And you've got to hope to the end. That means don't. Don't go back to your fleshly inclinations. But God says, hey, how many want to be whole? You want to be whole in the Lord? Well, you got to be holy. In other words, stop 
uh, tearing ourselves down with sin and the sloth and laziness and iniquity. Instead, choose in our difficulty to think rightly. Verse 17 says this. And you can call him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. Conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of exile. So keep the context in mind here. Peter is telling a group of people doing, going through a trial and a tough time, you have two choices. You can experience unspeakable joy or you can feel sorry for yourself and drift back, drift back into in car, uh, to carnality. But if you do that, if you drift back to carnality, can I tell you something? The results are always heartbreaking. So he says this, so spend time in fear, not of the Father, but be fear of the repercussions of sin in your life. Get away from those things. Get away from those things, those tendencies. Verse 18, knowing that you are ransomed from the uh, uh, futile ways inherited from the forefathers, not with the perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. If your tendency in a trial or hardship is to return to your carnal lifestyle, Peter says this, remember, you were purchased with the blood of Jesus. If you're saved in here, can I tell you something? I'm going to give you a little bit of information. You were purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. What do you mean by that? What does that mean to be purchased by the blood? You know, the Bible says this, the wages of sin is what? I want you to stop and think about this. Think about Jesus on the cross. When you think about all the lashings that he had on his back. I want you to think about how bloody and gory that was for him to be whipped on his back. I want you to think about the crown of thorns on his head being shoved on his head and, and poking him and blood beginning to flow. I want you to think about the spikes in his hand as he's there and, and just, you know, just mangling. And the spear in his side and it says water and blood begin to flow in that moment. I want you to think about the crowd cursing and mocking him. How many know that that's an ugly picture when we look at it? We think that's terrible. That's terrible. That's what sin does. You want to know what sin does? Look at the cross. That's what sin does to you. It taunts you. It wants to hurt you. It wants to kill you. And here's the thing, the only way that you and I and our families and our friends will understand the result of sin is to put our eyes on the cross and say, that's what sin does. So look at this, next portion says this, like the lamb without blemish or spot, verse 20, he was fore, uh, foreknown before the foundation of the world, but as was made manifest in the last time and, uh, and for the sake of you. And Jesus would be the lamb without spot or blemish, the perfect sacrifice for your sins and my sins. Can I tell you something? Jesus took your place for the wages of sin is death. When I look at the cross, when I see Jesus on, that's what I deserve. He paid that price. So before the foundations of the world, it was, it was plotted. God knew before the creation of the world was made known to us. And, and here's the thing, Jesus would be the blood applied like the Passover lamb. He would, he would be there to say, I've got you covered. How many are glad that you're covered by the blood of the lamb? It's a graphic picture, amen? Come on, give Jesus a hand clap of praise. 
I understand it's a graphic picture when we think about the cross. But listen to me. I have to be reminded every once in a while what my sin looks like. And it's a good reminder to all of us. Verse 21 says this. Who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that our faith and our hope. Everyone say hope are in God, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Everyone say, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So Peter doesn't say we purify our own souls, but we accomplish this purification by obedience to God's truth. You want to live a pure life? Be obedient to the Lord. Amen. Stay away from sin. Run from sin. Run from it. Run from it. Stay obedient to the Lord. Get in his word. Know what it says. He's saying this. Hey, listen, people. The people are going to persecute you. And Jesus, uh, and Jesus would say this to, to Peter, that people are going to persecute you. They're going to stretch out. He's saying this to Peter. They're going to stretch out your arms and take you where you don't want to go. How many know that the world is trying hard to do that? And it's funny to me because uh, he said, speaking, uh, you know, talking of, about Peter's death. And you know what Peter's response was to Jesus when he said that? And Jesus said, hey, listen, they're going to take you and they're going to stretch out your arms. So he's, he's basically saying, hey, Peter, you're going you're gonna to die. You're going you're gonna to be crucified. He doesn't really understand that, what he's saying. But he kind of knows what's going on. And you know what Peter says? He looks at Jesus and he points to John. He says, what about John? What's going to happen to him? And you know what Jesus says? Oh. You know what, Peter? Follow me. Don't you worry about John. You follow me. You keep your eyes on me, and I'll work things out. So when persecution comes down, when things are tough, we act like Peter, and we point to others and say, God, how come, how come this isn't happening to them? How come, how come they're not doing this? And, and you know what our response should be? Jesus looks at us and says, don't you worry about what everything else is going on in the world. Follow me. Follow me. So the key to combat this is to love one another. Everyone say, love fervently. You know, here's what I've learned. Adversity can bring about unity or animosity. Right? How many have went through some things and animosity reared its head up? You get mad. How many have been through some things where it united you? Think about this. I, I know like it may be someone in your family passed away. Sometimes that can bring a family together. Sometimes that can bring a family together. How many know what I'm talking about? And there's, there's things. So adversity can bring about unity or animosity. Verse 23 says this. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, amen, but of imperishable through the living, abiding word of God. These seeds that you're hearing tonight, the word of God that you're reading at home, that you're constantly hearing, listen, those seeds are landing in you, and they are not imperishable. They will live forever. All right, look at this. Um, through the living, abiding word of God, verse 24, for all flesh is like grass, and all glory is like flowers of grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall. How many know the flowers are falling right now? The grass is withering. Everyone's like, oh, you know, but it'll come back in spring, right? But look at this. But the word of the Lord remains forever. There's no winner when it comes to the word of God. And the word is the good news that was preached. So knowing this because of his own experience, Peter 
uh, new trials could create animosity towards others. And he gives us four reasons that we should love one another. Here they are. You ready for this? We'll learn about them next week. All right. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word. God, I just, I pray, Lord, that you would just uh, let this word penetrate our heart. God, our, our take home tonight, God, from chapter one is this, Lord, that you are our living hope. Lord, we are born again to be a living hope. God, and I, we put our hope in Jesus Christ and him alone. God, you have an eternity for us, God, and that our hope is the expectation of coming good. No matter what we are going through, God, we have this hope of expectation coming good. Whether it be in this life or the next, God, I'm just grateful for every person in this house. God, I pray, Lord, that this word would just penetrate our hearts. God, I'm so grateful, uh, Lord, that you would use men, God, with flaws, but you continue to use them, God. You continue to shape them. God, Lord, that you would use even someone like me, God, and people like us. And God, you would put this gospel in our hands. And God, Lord, that you would use us to spread it. God, I pray, Lord, you go with us this week. Keep us safe. God, and I ask, Lord, that you would bless us. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said.